Hi, I'm Andrea Stanley of Valley Malt, and this is the Brewer to Brewer podcast from All About Beer. My guest today is Lindsay Barr of Draft Lab Sensory Software, and she is here for a conversation with me that goes beyond the brew house and into topics that matter to brewing professionals and curious beer drinkers. First, please visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media at All About Beer. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Well, we'll get into the conversation in just a moment, but first, this message. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. All About Beer is back. And we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Okay, let's get into it. A bit about my guest today. Lindsay is the CSO and founding partner of Draft Lab Sensory Software, where she helps food and beverage companies use tasting technology to make products that people love. After earning a master's in food science from UC Davis, she began her career at New Belgium Brewing Company, managing the sensory and consumer research program. Along with her work at Draft Lab, she teaches sensory for the Master Brewers course at UC Davis and the Siebel Institute and judges global beer competitions. During her career, she has published numerous groundbreaking techniques to lower the barrier to entry into sensory science and continues to be passionate about making sensory accessible for all businesses. She currently lives in San Francisco and could be found running or lounging in Golden Gate Park, sailing, or playing around in the Castro. Lindsay, welcome. It's so good Hello. to be on this podcast with you. Um, thank you so much for saying yes to letting me ask you questions and have us talking all about beer. Thanks for the invite. I'm excited about it. So the reason why I chose you is because, you know, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too. 
<laughs> and you have done an incredible job in assisting craft maltsters and brewers and even grain growers by engaging in and understanding the flavor attributes of malt, arguably one of the most important ingredients in beer. I Part of why I love you, Lindsay, is about the way you get things done. Um, <laughs> you are somebody who is extremely collaborative. You're transparent. You're honest. And to back all of those wonderful personal qualities up, you are extremely informed in the scientific process. And so my first question and discussion that I would love to have with you is, why did you get involved in trying to, and curious about trying to understand the sensory attributes of the ingredients in beer? and not just stick with craft beer as a sensory playground. Sure. Um, well, thanks for all those nice words. <laughs> I feel similarly about you. Um, yeah, what got me interested in, in going a little bit deeper into raw materials? Um, this was back in, I guess, 2014, right? Um, I mean, part of beer flavor of, of big part of beer flavor is malt flavor. Um, and back in 2014, there was really no way of analyzing malt flavor. We all kind of theoretically, you know, hypothesized that malt had a big impact on beer flavor, but that was still a debate back in 2014. That was still up for questioning. Um, and around the same time, craft maltsters were kind of starting to pop up all over the place. And um, I was I was interested in in just kind of finally putting that question to bed, <laughs> like whether or not it mattered. Um, and my master's thesis was actually in gluten free beer production. Um, so at the time, I was also working with different alternative grains to make gluten free beer and um, knew that malt flavor when it came to different grains, really, really mattered. Um, so we, we know that it matters, but we wanted to finally answer that question and in some ways quantify it um, just so that malt could be taken more seriously in, in beer production. I think now it is taken quite seriously in beer production, um, but it was a bit of a journey because there was even still a discussion about what flavors even come from malt. Um, again, we all kind of, new, but there really wasn't a ton of research and, um, and we just didn't really want it to be debated anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was interesting. Um, you know, 2014, the seminal white paper that the BA did called malting barley characteristics for craft brewers, um, identified gaps in the, um, between what craft brewers wanted in their malt supply and what the current malt supply or supply chain was delivering. And right at the top, craft brewers identified a mismatch in distinct flavors and aromas. And I remember when that paper came out, um, I'm just gonna really quickly read here that um, the most commonly cited attribute that craft brewers were saying they needed to fill the gap was an emphasis on flavor, calling it priority one for craft brewers. And that 
in the last 10 to 25 years, there was a trend toward ever increasing flavor neutrality that must be reversed. <laughs> and, you know, to make a statement like that, the Brewers Association was kind of setting themselves up a little bit for a debate on the topic, which then posed all of these um all of these opportunities, I guess, for us. Mm -hmm. And, and you really were one of the people that stepped up and said, okay, let's look at this from a scientific standpoint. If we're going to evaluate the attributes of malt and flavor and try to figure out what are distinct flavors and aromas that we're looking for, we need to number one, have a method. Mm -hmm. Number two, have a lexicon. Number three, validate those methods. And that's a huge under that's a huge undertaking for an industry to um, take on. And nobody was really stepping up to do that work. Um, and you and Cassie Liscomb from Brees were two of the people that I would say stepped up um, and really uh, were adamant and um, focused on making sure that we had the tools and we had the scientific process in place to really start having a honest debate about malt flavor um, and an awareness about it. Cause really, like you were saying, a lot of it was kind of just this, you know, yeah, let's choose some malt and say if we like it or not, which, mm -hmm. you know, isn't really a great way to talk about malt flavor and aromas. So I was just wondering for people that are listening, if you could just talk about that process of how people in the industry decided to get together and collaborate and, and what came out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So we did take a kind of systematic approach to ultimately trying to understand and, and verifiably or, you know, um, just be able to quantify aromas and general flavors of, of malt. And I wanted to like be able to jump into that immediately. I wanted to be able to describe malt flavor and do it reliably and be able to do all this research around different varieties and what they bring to the table, different monsters and parameters and what they all kind of contribute to malt flavor. I wanted to dive into that first. And and I, I kind of did, I kind of started going down that path and then realized when I went to go evaluate malt flavor that there wasn't any method to do this. There wasn't any like standardized method of evaluating malt flavor. And raw materials evaluations are kind of complicated because they do require um, different extraction methods that are intended for evaluating their sensory characteristics. And the method that we had at the time was chewing or Congress. And Congress wasn't made for a sensory evaluation. You get like a, it's made for extract. And so when people tasted Congress, it was just really sweet and a, a lot going on. So uh, the first the first time that we really tried to evaluate malt flavor was just by chewing. And the the tasters that were involved in that test just hated it just could not do it. And um, you got to keep your tasters happy. So that was also what what was going on. And the data was really muddy. So um, Cassie and I were within our, we were in the same orbit, Cassie from Breeze. Um, 
we were in the same orbit and they had been working on this question for a while as well. So we decided to put our head heads together along with you um, and a couple of uh, partner breweries and partner monsters as well to start playing around with what methods will work for the industry. And when we were looking at that, we wanted to make sure that the methods were approachable, um, affordable, anybody could do it with minimal equipment um, and relatively rapid as fast as we could make it while also um, really prioritizing being able to evaluate for flavor nuances. Um, so after some tinkering and some playing around and some validating across different breweries and, and maltsters, uh, the hot steep method was born. And uh, the hot steep method is pretty widely accepted now as the standard method for sensory um, analysis of malt. And what's great about it is, it again, it, it follows all those parameters. We're able to use minimal equipment. It's affordable. It's fast and it's an accurate way of evaluating for, for flavor. I think the resulting wort is generally around five Play-Doh and it's, it's easy enough for panelists to be able to evaluate 10 or so samples without getting too fatigued. Whereas with, with chewing, you could only really evaluate a few samples and it was highly fatiguing and you kind of didn't get a representative sample size and there were a lot of problems with that. So um, now we have we have a method. We published that method, uh, I think, in 2015 or something like that. And um, it, it now exists, and most people are using it for sensory. Um, so once we had a method, then we could start going into just describing malt flavor. Um, and as a baseline for most sensory analysis, it's really, it kind of lowers the barrier to entry if you have a common lexicon for the industry so that we and communicate more clearly across brewer and maltster and farmer and so that we can better identify the product characteristics that we're trying to make. Um, and, and we're all about, again, having an approachable lexicon that's built on analogy, not abstract terms, um, that takes relatively minimal training to be able to understand and utilize. And you were involved with um, a lot of that lexicon work as well. So, um, in I believe in 2015, we came up with the base malt flavor map. Um, that was again an industry collaboration across maltsters, brewers, um, academics as well, and um, that's kind of the standard lexicon for base malt flavor. And then a year or so later, we all got together and did a specialty malt flavor map um, at Surly during a conference. And I can't remember what conference it was, but we all did that together, um, which was a lot of fun. So now we have these tools and we have the method, we have the lexicon, and that really kind of spurred on more of an emphasis within the industry to start um, really analyzing the flavors that we're getting out of our ball. I believe that event in Minneapolis was the malt flavor symposium. Do you remember mm -hmm. that? How appropriate. Yeah, that's yep. right. Yep. Yeah, uh, that was that was great. So we got Maltsters, brewers, again, some academics, and we all sat in the room and generated a whole, whole bunch of terms for specialty malt, steeped probably about 20 different specialty malts um, across different process parameters. And that was really, that was really fun. <laughs> yeah. And the scientific approach that I remember you taking with that was 
you know, you tried to collect the most diverse group of base malts first to do the base malt um, lexicon. And then again with specialty malts later on down the road. But so, you know, dozens of different types of malts. You had dozens of people tasting those malts, coming up with terms. And then you started analyzing what are the terms that people are using the most and how do we make those terms something that somebody that's new to this method and looking at these terms could be like, oh yeah, I mean, Cheerios is on there, right? It's a perfect, you know, wheat thins. Like there are things there that everybody has probably had experience with and can can identify with some of those terms when they're tasting malt for the first time. Yep. Yep. That, yeah. That's kind of the approach. So with the base malt, we, I think we got multiple different varieties malted by different maltsters. Like the, the idea is to try to span the range of possible flavors within a category when coming up with the lexicon, but you're never going to achieve everything, but you can at least get a sample size that's big enough to where you can um, kind of get samples within the, the theoretical range of variation within that product category. Um, so followed that philosophy with the base mall and with the specialty mall. Um, and then essentially, if there was a little bit of overlap in what people were saying, then we would make sure that that term gets into the map. And then we organize the map um, based off of the frequency of term use, which at first, um, it, it was a relatively small number of tasters doing that. But now that um, those terms have been integrated into draft lab for a few years. We're now able to um, look at that data, look at what people are actually using and um, change the order, the positioning of those terms based off of the frequency. And um, we're also able to take terms out that people may not be using and identify terms that uh, people now are using. So, I mean, Flavor lexicons are meant to change as our familiarity with the product changes and um, as people get get used to it, uh, there's going to be different terms that kind of pop up. And as innovation happens, there will be new terms that pop up and um, that sh it should be fluid and it should be flexible um, and it should reflect what the industry is making and interesting in, interested in. And then after the lexicon was developed, um, that led to the question of, okay, so we have, you know, we're tasting malt now. We feel confident that we're tasting it in the right way and that we're, we have terms that we can all agree upon. And we might even have preferences of which malts that people like more than others. And so then uh, again, you and Cassie and kind of a team of experts got together and asked the question, okay, so if a group of people prefer this malt, are they going to prefer the beer that was brewed with this malt? Mm -hmm. So that was work that, again, this is all in the span of about two years that this yeah. work was being done. Um, and I remember us all presenting, I think in Nashville together at uh, CBC. the CBC, yeah, which was, mm -hmm. um, I think the day after our first arm wrestling competition that we put on together, which we'll <laughs> talk more about later. Um, so can you just, for our audience, talk a little bit about that validation and whether or not that was validating? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give you the medium-sized story on that. Um, the the medium-sized story is I was, you know, this ambitious researcher, and I really wanted to start answering the question, 
if uh, about the variety question, the age-old variety question. So does does variety matter when it comes to flavor? So all things kind of equal, what kind of driver is variety? Um, so we did this huge, expansive research study um, with just 15 or so different varieties, replications, along with um, different maltsters malting the same varieties and blah, blah, blah. And we used a... a a method called descriptive analysis where you're quantifying the intensity of different flavors in the product. Um, and so I just poured over a ton of data and and I ultimately was just like, it's still so muddy. It's still so muddy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and I presented it actually at the Young Scientist Symposium in Ghent um, in like 2015 or something like that. And and ultimately I was like, here's a whole bunch of data and here are some conclusions. Although like, it's not really all that definitive. It, and I even tried to answer, does malt flavor in the steep carry over to beer flavor? And that's a really, really difficult question to answer because fermentation is a whole, whole thing. So I got this muddy result, and I decided to just take a huge step backwards, not backwards, but a, a huge simplification step. Um, and just start asked, okay, generally, if people like steeps and they choose to buy the malt that they like and make beer from it, does that preference transfer to beer? Because generally, that's what people are doing when they're steeping. They're deciding, what am I going to buy? Um, and is there a, a favorable flavor in one variety or one maltster over another? So <laughs> simplified, and we ran a study where basically we looked at two sets of different malts. Um, one was kind of what we would consider to be something that isn't necessarily made for beer. I think it was like a distiller's malt. I can't remember all the details, but uh, one was like a distiller's malt. It wasn't really made for beer. So we didn't think that it was going to do all that well in a steep. And then we compared it to something that we theoretically thought would be um, favored. And then we did another test as well um, with two other samples. So we did uh, a method of what's called paired, paired preference, where in a steep, you're asked, um, which one of these do you like most? So we made sure that the color and everything was kind of standardized. And we, we asked brewers, because brewers were the people making decisions. So we asked brewers this. Um, and we saw significant differences in preference. Um, and then what our question was, is okay if you once we make a beer with these malts are we going to see a significant difference in um in preference with beer i don't think it was distiller's malt i can't i can't remember what it was but um and what we saw was the exact same breakdown the exact same breakdown so we saw kind of a one-to-one -one correlation with preference in the steep and preference in the beer so we could say okay there might not be specific nuances that you're going to get from malt to beer, but your general liking is going to follow the same pattern from malt to beer. Um, and then we also did, we scaled this up and did this at a homebrew conference. Um, Cassie did. Cassie did this at a homebrew conference. She got somewhere around 150 homebrewers to taste steeps and to taste the beer made out of those steeps. And again, the results were replicated with that bigger group of people. So that was really validating for us. We at least now understood, okay, generally preference does translate. So the question about, well, does 
does malt flavor translate to beer? Maybe not the specific nuances, but preference definitely does. And it was a Hellas, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was kind of a malt driven beer. It wasn't like a yep. Imperial yep. IPA or something. Yeah. And so the Craft Maltsters Guild, um, kind of over the years that you were doing some of this work grew in membership and Craft Malt has been, you know, slowly growing in the, uh, impact that it's having in craft beer. And so the Craft Malt Guilds uh, now has a malt cup, an annual malt cup, which is a competition that um, it's a lot of fun, but I would say at this point, it's still highly educational in that, you know, craft maltsters can send in their Pilsner malt or their um, pale malt. I think this year Vienna was included as a category. Um, And you now have, because of Draft Lab and because of the, the lexicon and um, the hot steep method, we're able to have a competition that has a lot of uh, rigorous sort of science behind it. And it's so interesting to see now, I think three or four years into doing the Craft Malt Cup, how this, this question that you were talking about that's been floating out there about malt flavor. You know, some people argue that most malt flavor comes from the malt house. And then other people wanna believe that malt flavor can come from a varietal or from a region. Um, And I think that it's gonna take decades to maybe have better data to sort of see where this will all land. But um, this year alone at the Craft Malt Conference, it was so interesting because I think we saw both. You know, we saw that Root Shoot Malt won a whole mm-hmm. lot of medals yeah. as they continue to win medals um, over the last several years. Um, they are a, they're not only a grower, but they're the maltster. So they have a exceptional level of control over what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um and but we're also seeing varieties come to rise to the top as well so we saw that the variety genie was a variety that whether it was through root shoot or other malt houses won a bunch of craft malt awards as well mm-hmm. so you know i think that that answer is hanging out there for us now that we're starting to utilize the method utilize draft lab as a software system to make uh aggregating all this data possible. And um, yeah, just curious if you're also kind of sitting back and enjoying the educational, uh, the education that we're all getting because of this work that was this foundation that was laid a few years ago. Yeah, it's really, it's really neat. And the Craft Malt Cup is always a fun competition to be a part of. Um, We kind of originally with Hannah, like Hannah's just such a rock star um, from Montana State. she's really organizes a lot of that um but initially the idea with the craft malt cup was to elevate craft malt flavor and put more of an emphasis on it and drive more awareness about it and competitions do that really really nicely um so the first year was a lot of fun and a lot of people um were interested in it and the results were interesting um the second year i think was I think the second year was COVID. So we kind of had to pivot some stuff. And um, I think 
yeah, and we had to mess around with sending samples out. And now we just have so many samples that we have to go through multiple tastings, uh, some of which are remote and some of which are in person. And we kind of constantly are trying to figure out what's going to work best um, for being able to give the malt the best chances. Um, and so we're we're talking about maybe doing all in person, whatever, but that's all besides the point. Um, but to your point, Andrea, we have now years of data um, with these tastings with um, overall quality ratings and some flavor analysis. And we have associations with uh, crop year and associations with uh, maltster and with variety. And over time, I think we'll be able to start looking at that data in a more holistic way and be able to answer what are the main drivers of of preference or of, of flavor when it comes to malt. And I, I, we are starting to see trends, like Root Shoot won a bunch of medals and Genie is um, winning a bunch of medals. So we're starting to see these trends and we're scratching our head, but we haven't really actually done the, the, the data analysis to look at what's really driving this. Yeah. But if, if the BA were to give uh, a report card, um, about how the industry has come together to address this. Um, I would say we get a pretty, I would say you get a pretty high score for <laughs> yeah. helping to helping to bridge this gap. Um, and I don't yeah. know, you know, I obviously I, I'm highly invested in in the work that you're doing um, and that draft lab is doing. I don't know if it's being done in other sectors of our industry. Um, I think that one of the things that is so beautiful about this uh, is that it goes against um, what I've observed about um, the malt supply chain, the, the sort of more commoditized supply chain, is that a lot of the research is being done uh, within companies, within large companies, and isn't being shared. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's not always that collaborative, uh, approach to it. Um, so, you know, there are big companies out there that are both maltsters and brewers or large mall houses, and they might have been doing some of the stuff. They might have a lot of the same data, but they're doing it in their own way. And they're not necessarily sharing that information with kind of the general public. Um, so that makes it hard for an industry to evolve if things are being kept kind of in that more you know, close to the chest, sort of yeah. capitalistic way of looking at things. <laughs> yeah. And so, that's, I mean, that's kind of typical within the, the broad food and beverage space. That's, yeah. that's kind of how it is. But um, I will say that the large maltsters um, and large brewers have been willing to at least participate with what we've been doing when tapped yeah. for resources. And so they, they're willing to participate and put in some resources. Um, so they've, they've been really great to work with, although I, I'm sure they're doing their, their own research to understand malt flavor. Why, like, why, why wouldn't they? Um, but yeah, I think it's a great story about just um, folks with just no ulterior motives, just our agendas to really understand this, this uh, to understand grains and, yeah. and flavor. And part of what um, kept me interested in it was also being able to work with you too. <laughs> totally. I agree. Um, like, we've I'm had like, a lot of fun throughout it. 
Yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, we hadn't met and become friends, if, you know, we would, I think we, we both fuel each other's passion in this way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's definitely, uh, you know, you, being friends with you and, and getting to just casually talk to you about things around sensory has been an incredible education for me with somebody without a lot of, you know, background in that. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that the method, you know, we use at Valley Malt, you know, before a batch of malt leaves the kiln, it's being hot steeped and, you know, mm-hmm. checked for we use it for color and for flavor and, and making sure that it's true to brand. And, Mm -hmm. and then it's also just such an excess. I mean, you know, it's so easy to train our staff on how to do it. So, you know, anybody that's got the time can do it. doesn't have to be this one specialized person. So yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows in the quality of your mall, like you're, you're passionate about it and you, you know, you do this, the things it's really consistent it's really, delicious. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine yes. a malt house that is constantly tasting their malt, not having good malt, right? Because yes. it's like, yeah. once you start tasting yeah. it, it's pretty obvious. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's just the act of measuring alone will dictate the outcome of the flavor because you, it, it will just kind of be a part of who your company is and what you're doing. And so just tasting is just such a low lift, but it's so insightful. You really don't need to do anything besides just getting familiar with your with your product's flavor. Yeah. One question about sort of this evolution is, I know we've kind of, you know, COVID has put sort of a big wet blanket on a lot of things. <laughs> Um, I think we're all still coming out from that wet blanket a little bit, but any thoughts on what we still have left to do in malt sensory? Yeah. Um, I think it's a, it's a good question. I've been admittedly a little out of it over the last couple of years out of like the, the direct malt discussion. Um, there's still a decent amount of good research that's going on um, with like Harmony at Hartwick and um, I believe CSU is still, there's still a, a decent amount of like good research going on. Um, I'd kind of like to see more of an understanding of, I, I mean, what you and I worked on a little while ago was really interesting. Um, looking at different a couple of different varieties and this was inspired by what happened with COVID and the supply chain you were Mm -hmm. looking to correct me if I'm wrong but you were looking to um, understand what you could do locally to mimic certain flavors that you would get internationally from um, malts that are are well known for their flavor yeah and we were able to to do some pretty quick studies just to I mean it literally took us what a couple of hours to answer some of those questions and inform some of your process parameters to mimic the flavor that you would get from international grains. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would like to see more of that. So now, Mm -hmm. now like what we've been doing is um, kind of lies in the research world, you know, we're publishing stuff, we're creating these tools, but I would really like to see more of these tools be utilized for everyday production questions, because why would we do this if it wasn't intended to be used? And that's kind of a criticism about like the academia world 
is like, if you can't directly tie this to what a business is going to do, why are we even doing it? So Mm -hmm. I, and and all of our research has been really practical um, because again, that's our philosophy. If businesses can't use this, we're not going to do this. Um, So I'd like to see more of that utilization and more interest from um, craft maltsters and and, um, just just generally looking to kind of like dip their toe in the water Mm -hmm. around what they can do with this information. And some people are, um, but that's, it, the the very the exceptional ones that are you know winning awards and stuff like they they're all kind of doing that um but i'd like to see even the smallest monster um get curious about what they could do using flavor analysis mm-hmm. yeah no i mean for us you know as a malt house it's like why wouldn't you want to make the best malt that you know mm-hmm. so it's like you know in our mind german pilsners are an incredibly delicate you know, refined type of malt and, you know, how, what kind of varieties are we growing? You know, we actually have some very similar, you know, we, we can grow winter barley. We have these low protein, low enzyme varieties that we can grow out here. And, you know, how do we find the right variety and malting parameters to get as close to a German Pilsner as possible, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's that kind of thing where, you know, you're actually helping small businesses to achieve an economic impact for the, their, their business is, you know, I would say knowing you, one of the reasons why you started Draft Lab. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're really here for us and trying to simplify something that, you know, traditionally you might have had to hire a sensory scientist to do these things for your company and a company of our size can't afford something like that at this stage in the game. And so um, Mm -hmm. having Draft Lab and having the Draft Lab team to lean on for some of this area of expertise has been, you know, pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, that was definitely the whole idea Um, and still is the the guiding star with what development we choose to do. It's all about how can we make this accessible for small businesses. Um, sensory science is something that large businesses have been doing for a very long time. Um, so it's not a mystery that it, it can have an impact on your the outcome of your flavor. Um, but small businesses, it's not been accessible for them. Um, so that's kind of what we've been focusing on on doing and what we'll continue focusing on doing. Yeah. It's always fun when we have a brewery come here and we're like, oh yeah, we're using draft lab. And they're like, we got draft lab. You yeah, know, like nice. they're already, that's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's so, the best. That makes me yeah. so happy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we are going to take a short break for this message and then come right back for more of conversation with Lindsay Barr. I think we're going to step away a little bit from malt and talk a little bit about arm wrestling. Yes. Um, So, uh, yeah, let's take a a short break and we will be right back with Lindsay Barr of Draft Lab Sensory Software. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. 
You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. All About Beer is back, and we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Looking for an easy hop sourcing experience? Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com. Oh, Lindsay. Okay. So I want to say that uh, this is, to me, the segue of talking a little bit about uh, the Brewster's arm wrestling competitions that we've been doing together really comes from the success that we achieved in collaborating together. You know, there's something to be said for um, working with people where it just feels like all the cylinders fire uh, pretty much, you know, they're all tuned and they're firing uh, in unison. And so um, sometimes, uh, you know, working with other people and planning events, it, it can be challenging. Um, and our event that we put together at the CBC, the Brewster's Arm Wrestling event, um, is a, it's it's quite an event to put on. There's a lot of pieces to it. <laughs> um, and yet, I think because of the way that we've worked together in the past in, you know, just kind of a little bit of mind reading, a lot of, you know, get it done kind of attitude from, um, both of us, um, you know, we've been able to pretty casually, uh, even it, from the surface, put on this uh, event that has become a really exciting part of the Craft Brewers Conference every year. Um, so taking uh, taking a, a step back um, and letting our audience know what we're talking about. So the Craft Brewers Conference has always had an aspect of these sort of like side events that have happened um, where, you know, if you're at, if you're attending the conference, you might go to the crap, the BA's website and see, oh, there's a, you know, beer tasting here, or there's a concert here, or, you know, so-and-so is sponsoring a, uh, an event here. And so, um, we decided that we thought it would be great to bring women's arm wrestling to the craft brewers conference, that that was something that our community needed and that we needed when we attended this event, you know, something that was um, empowering for the people that attended it and the, the wrestlers, but also a big part of it was that the craft brewers conference is such a big economic driver to the area where they decide to have the event and that uh, we wanted to do something where we were directly giving back to that community because obviously a community, a city hosting an event, they're giving a lot to us. They're giving us a, a playground to be able to enjoy ourselves. And we wanted to make sure that we were sort of paying it forward and giving that, you know, giving uh, money back to that community 
and support back to that community. So anyway, we started, we decided that we were going to do it in a really fun way. And our, our wrestling events are fundraisers. Um, over the years, I think we've raised probably about fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 at this point. Yeah. Probably around 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and we plan to do it again next year in Vegas. Um, I remember the first year you wrestled as Lindsay, the barbarian. That's right. <laughs> and you literally ate a squirrel on yes. stage <laughs> with fake blood animal. capsules in your yes. mouth. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. It's wow. What a, what a journey. What a time that was. Yeah. The first one that we did was in Nashville, um, yep. at, um, at the five spot. Yep. Um, and it was really, it really came together. I mean, you were the one who was like, we got to do something. We got to give back to the, to the community. And, um, you, you're part of your local arm wrestling kind of troop in Massachusetts. And so you kind of, you know, a lot about how to put these on and you have a decent amount of experience in community organizing. So it's been really, um, empowering for me to be able to work with you and, learn more about community organization. Um, and I, I never really thought of myself as somebody who could do that or who was doing that. And this year, I think when we were in Nashville again, sitting on the stage and looking out at how many people were there losing their minds with joy, <laughs> I was like, maybe we are organizers. <laughs> maybe this is like, maybe this is within our skill set. Um, and we're really fortunate to be a part of a, a community that is the brewing industry that's really collaborative and um, really interested in in sharing what's what's going on. Um, so it's it's been fun and yeah, it does take a decent amount of planning, but all of it is just so joyful because we get to meet these people and um, like even all of the wrestlers that we have had over the last few years um, are not people that I had known very well and you kind of get to know them and joke around with everyone and you just like grow your own personal community just by having access um, to these amazing wrestlers that just really bring the energy and people come for the wrestlers because um, it's just so it's so fun and so engaging and just out, like out of control and I think that when you're at conferences that are kind of professional conferences you kind of need a little bit of that outlet just to, to just, you know, pretend that your colleagues aren't there <laughs> and bite off a stuffed squirrel's head on a stage. <laughs> and yes. so like, just really give yourself to it for the purpose of, of raising money for a charity. Yeah. Um, or so having this... a bottle of Bud Light poured over your <laughs> yes. entire body yes. for money. <laughs> for money. And that, did raise a lot of money. So I'm, I'm glad that you, you were able to be showered with Bud Light. Um, yeah, it's it's always so much fun. And I think that our even our work in the professional sphere, I mean, we we met under the professional world of malt and um kind of cut our teeth on doing some of the work that we were just talking about with the lexicon and the method. And um, I'm really happy that our efforts have now moved more towards um, advocacy and community organization. I think that's where our attention needs to be right now. Um, and you think they need to write a white paper? 
<laughs> well, let's go, BA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's see that. Let's see where we could talk about some gaps in the industry. Identify some gaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would that would be hot reading. Um, so I'm I'm just so so excited to start looking at at uh, Las Vegas. I think that we're going to have a really great time there. We already have some boots on the ground. Um, and, but I mean, just a lot of folks don't realize that you have to get a table. You have to, you know, there's like all these like little things that we kind of, a DJ, like all those details really kind of make it go, go on. Um, and our, our referees this year, I mean, they, they've got to stay. So now, now we need, (laughs) uh, Andrea was referee a couple of years in a row and, and now like now that we have professional arm wrestlers, we, we got to totally, keep we got to keep those guys. Yeah. These guys were like, what, six foot four and like yeah. 300 pound of muscle and yeah. big daddy and, uh, yeah. Dakota, 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 <laughs> Dakota yeah. 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 Who are actual professional arm wrestlers, um, and do these competitions around the world. And they donated their time and their table, to come to the event and referee and yeah, make it, make it really special. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's great. I feel like so we're just scratching the surface to be quite yeah. honest. Cause even totally. this year um, we even had companies say that they would even want to like sponsor the right. event. Yeah. It's kind right. of funny too. One of the things that like, we, we don't necessarily say like, Oh, this event is sponsored by, Valley Ball and Draft, you know, we're just kind of like putting it on, putting it mm-hmm. out there. Um, yeah. 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 And those were intentional decisions. I mean, we, we yeah. talked about it. Like, do we want to have it sponsored by, you know, Valley Throwback and Draft Lab, who are, you know, the three companies represented to that are doing the work behind the scenes. Um, and our, our answer was like, no, nah. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's just keep this about the community. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and keep the attention on the organization that we're, that we're raising money for. So yeah. It's, it's been fun. Yeah. It's, it, it's like pure joy pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't been, you, you gotta go. Um, yeah. We'll make sure in Vegas to get a giant venue, <laughs> like yeah. stadium seating or something. We gotta get it. And if venue. you're listening and you want to help or be a part of it, or you have any ideas for us too, things we could do better um, let us know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. We're, it's just the best. And we'll definitely have to put some sort of, uh, more information up, um, about the date and sort of more details as, as we Mm -hmm. get a hold on, on things. Yeah, we definitely will. I, I think this year we'll go by, um, well, I think we'll be able to kind of figure out all those details relatively soon um we have some people in vegas that are helping out and um and i think that it's it has enough traction at this point to where people are asking to help and that's really that's really good for us because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. the, the weeks follow like the weeks up to cbc um a lot of my time or a lot of our time is is planning arm wrestling which is totally worthy um but it's you know, it's like doing our, our talks, whatever talks we're doing, whatever booths we have at CBC and, and arm wrestling. <laughs> Those yeah. are the, the three things. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's ambitious. 
It is. But one of the things that I really like about you, Andrea, is, is your willingness to just be like, yep, we can do this. Like, <laughs> of course we can do this. Let's make it happen. And we, we always make it happen. So, yep. um, I mean, you're, we, we didn't even talk about your mill, like the, the fact that you're milling now, you're like, yep, we can do yep. this. We make salt, we can make flour and you make amazing flour. Some of like some world-class bakers are using your flour. So um, I love that stuff where yeah. you're just a, you're a yes man. <laughs> <laughs> Except to my kids that I'm just the no mom, but you yeah. Know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so kids. what other things are before we sort of don't have any time left? Um, what other things are kind of like joyful in your life and, you know, may, may not have anything to do with beer, may just have to do with like personal or professional things that are going on or, you know, yeah. what's kind of, it sounds cliche, but like, what's, you know, what's bringing you joy and sparking joy in your heart <laughs> and head these days? Yeah. What's tickling the brain and the heart? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a few things. That's such a great question. Um, career-wise and work-wise, um, we're, we're in product development mode, which is really fun. Um, we're kind of looking at the industry. We're talking to a lot of people. I think we have our, we have our ear to the ground. We've been working with hundreds of companies across different industries for seven years now, um, which is crazy. It went by really fast. Um, and can you just share what a few of those other industries are just so people can like start salivating? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Some of it's like <laughs> a, a decent amount of meat processing, actually. Oh, is, I was thinking more <laughs> chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And chocolate. <laughs> I chose, I chose the grossest. Uh, yeah. So we work with chocolate. Um, we, we work with, um, just kind of general food, um, some dairy, some cheese, yogurt, um, some uh, like vegetable growers, some like lettuce producers. Um, lettuce is like so hot right now. Um, Tell us about lettuce sensory. So is it like the crunch and the like, what are the what yeah. are the things that are important in lettuce sensory? Yeah. So generally for products that have generally low flavor profiles, mouthfeel becomes so much more of a thing. Um, so I just spent some time doing butter analysis. We work with some butter manufacturers um, and, and butter doesn't have a lot of flavor. So you spend a decent amount of your time talking about the mouthfeel characteristics. Um, so yeah, like um, the crunch and the grassiness and um, the, you know, um, how toothsome, uh, fibrous, there's all that kind of mouthfeel stuff. So with butter, with butter as well. It's, it's a lot of talk about mostly mouthfeel, which is. Are you teasing fun. me to want to ask you about the single utter butter? <laughs> Please ask. Oh my God. So did Lindsay and I, one of the first times we met, we were at this schwanky restaurant that was like a farm to table restaurant and they served us, uh, what, five different butters and they were, mm -hmm. it was called single utter butter. Mm -hmm. And they had literally taken the milk from different cows on their farm that they mm -hmm. allowed to graze whatever greenery in the farm that they wanted to. So it was like mm -hmm. Sally loved to eat clover along the fence and, yeah. you know, 
Marcy loved to eat this particular batch. And then we got to eat butter yeah. from each of yeah. these segregated cows Yes, and taste the difference. Yeah, so fun. It's so fun. And they were so different. We also, um, like age mattered, the age of the cow um really was kind of a big indicator that's our next research project <laughs> what are the factors what are the <laughs> what are the cow factors that kind of drive flavor um that was that was so fun and and once you taste the different flavors that come from different cows it's so amazing that you can achieve any kind of consistency with like major manufacturers but um mm. blending blending does it all um yeah that was fun that was one of the second like the second or third time that we hung out and yeah um, that really solidified our friendship <laughs> uh, like a 17 course meal and like 17 <laughs> bottles of wine <laughs> yeah. yeah that was that was a lot of fun that was your 30th birthday yeah so it was a while ago <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah it was that was really fun um so that's exciting to me um working on product development stuff um to we're we're focusing on some some training, some front of front of house work. Um, we're we're noticing a theme um, in this kind of post COVID world um, that front of house training is a really important thing to you know get your folks onboarded to be able to sell your products. Um, so we're we're working on some stuff around that, and I've been doing some just consumer research on that. So I was actually just at Dandelion Chocolate yesterday, uh, talking to them about kind of some of their needs. Um, on my way to, to work today, I'm working from a, a like a WeWork. I was thinking about just kind of the arc of my career. And at this point, I kind of am really focusing on using the skills that I've learned as a sensory scientist and as a brewer and, um, and devoting that, those energies to um, software development. And there's so much crossover between those things. And whenever I forget about what I teach, which is, you know, understanding what your goals are and, and having a, um, having a target that you're going after and then, you know, building towards as those targets, like all those best practices and quality control. Whenever I forget that is when I start seeing myself scrambling and I have to remind myself, like, <laughs> what do you teach every day and apply that to software development? So that's been a, a really fun thing to do. So um, that's that's what's going on in in the work life. Um, as far as other stuff, I have been in San Francisco for a couple of months now, and I'm just kind of really embracing that space. Um, it's been really fun. The let's see, it's it's July now, so last month was Pride Month, and we just had so much fun with all of the Pride activities in in San Francisco. So just playing around at the Castro and. Um, we had a bunch of friends in town sailing um, and hiking and like the Bay Area is just so unbelievably gorgeous if you can deal with the with the inclement weather <laughs> with the fog and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So I've been enjoying that. Um, yeah, you just kind of you've since the time we've known each other, you've actually become like a sailor. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like a community boating uh mm -hmm. yeah yeah started sailing I guess in uh uh not that like 2021 mm -hmm. um 
and joined kind of a, a dirtbag sailing club <laughs> in, in San Diego. Perfect. <laughs> and uh, just kind of kept at it. And it's just so, so do you much have dirty that. ascots or do you do you wear <laughs> ascots? I, I don't know what that is. An ascot? Oh, it's like no. those, you know, like scarfy things. Like you don't know what an ascot oh, is. Sure, sure, sure. I guess I'm not a, I guess I'm not a good enough sailor to know what it is. I'm going to get you one. I'm going to get Please you one. Please do. Please do. <laughs> um, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. So you um, find a good work-life balance, yeah. even though yeah. running a business, you're kind of, you're kind of doing it all. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're I think enjoying it. Yeah. I, I don't see, I, I, there's a lot of blending, you know, like if yeah. you don't have enough space for thinking and creativity and stuff, then you're just kind of not going to be that good at, at software development. So, um, I think yeah. we, we've kind of created a culture where we are fine with just doing what we have to do in order to kind of keep ourselves sane and happy and, um, also just doing good work. Um, yeah. I'm sure you get that, but yeah, your, your life is a lot of Malting and milling. I feel like every time we get on the phone, you're like knee deep in a grain bin, which I guess you're not anymore. But you used not to, anymore. That that's yeah. been a big difference in the last year is that we moved to this new facility and you know have more automated equipment. And so now I actually I do come in to do quality stuff on Saturday and Sunday mornings, but just for like an hour. And otherwise, I don't work on weekends, and that's been pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. After yeah. 13 years, I think. Kind of deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's a. It's amazing what you've been able to achieve. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll probably wrap this up. Um, I want just to say thank you so much, Lindsay, for um, taking this time to talk together, and um, I'm looking forward to the arm wrestling event next year in Vegas. And um, I also want to say thank you to Jason Perkins, who asked me to be on all um, all about our Brewer to Brewer last episode um, that afforded me the opportunity to be able to ask you to be on this with me. So thank you, Jason. And Lindsay will be back on the next episode of the show as the host, having a conversation with a brewer of her choosing. That will be on the air in two weeks, so make sure you tune in for that. Visit allaboutbeer.com and follow on social media. And to support journalism in the beer space, check out patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. I'm Andrea Stanley of Valley Mall. Thank you for listening to the Brewer to Brewer podcast. First Tea is a proud sponsor of the Brewer to Brewer podcast. Some of the brightest brewers across the country have discovered the First Tea Advantage. Hill Farmstead, Sweetwater Brewing Company, and Angry Chair are among the many who have used First Tea's unique and quality teas and botanicals to create top-rate beers. First Tea focuses on being direct, flexible, and fast. You can find out more about First Tea's collaboration with brewers and tea ingredients by visiting firsttea.com slash blog. That's F-I-R-S-D-T-E-A dot com slash blog. For an easy hop sourcing experience, Yakima Valley Hops offers the finest quality hops from right here in our valley and premium growing regions around the world. 
Get the hops you need when you need them with ultra-fast shipping and awesome customer service. With a full line of liquid hop products and all your favorite varieties, no contracts are needed to brew with the best. Shop now at yakimavalleyhops.com. That's Y-A-K-I-M-A, valleyhops.com.